The scripture reading today is from Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How much prize money do you think each player on the winning Super Bowl team gets? Anybody know? Well, I learned that each winning player receives $150,000, and each player on the losing team receives $75,000. Of course, perhaps more importantly for football players, being in the Super Bowl is a career pinnacle and a dream come true. The Super Bowl is also big business. Today's game will generate at least $66 million in ticket sales, which is a drop in the bucket of a multi-billion dollar industry. And if you count yourself among the 61% of people who prefer the commercials to the game, you might be interested to know that one 30-second commercial costs $6.5 million. That is $217,000 a second. Now, given all that's at stake, you wonder about the prayers being said today by everyone involved. Whose career is on the line over a $6.5 million commercial? Are Christian believers on both teams praying to win? Are their families praying for them to avoid injury? And what if there are two Jesus-loving players on opposite teams praying to win for worthy reasons? Maybe because one will be able to provide for family members in need with that extra $150,000. Or maybe for the other because it would give them more visibility for public witness in a culture that pays a lot of attention to athletes off the field? Or what if there is a Christian woman praying for a particular team to win because then she is less likely to be a, a victim of domestic violence tonight? What if there's another Christian woman praying for the other team to win so her husband's gambling bet doesn't cause them to lose this month's rent money. Someone's going to win, and someone is going to lose. Even if one would dismiss 
any and all sports-related prayers. It's really kind of the same in daily life. If there's one job with two finalists and two sincere young Christians pray to get that job, one of them doesn't get the job. Same could be true of other good and worthwhile prizes, like an affordable apartment, a bed in a rehab facility, a hard-to-get appointment with a medical specialist, or a scholarship. The same is certainly true of healing from cancer, healing from mental illness, and prayers for our children. Not everyone, not even every believer who asks, is going to receive exactly what they prayed for. So what do we do with today's scripture? Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. How do we keep the faith when we don't get what we want? Let's start with a prayer. Good Father, you tell us we can come to you. And so here we are, asking, seeking, knocking, ready to receive the good gift of your word and trusting in you to provide what we need from it. Help us to see beyond our individual requests and to receive the equipping power of your spirit. In this time together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At first, it seems perfect. It seems like we have found the perfect divine vending machine. Jesus himself says to the huge crowd of people assembled for the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who asks receives, everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. The hope for a secret key to get what we want in life is sometimes what attracts people to Jesus. It attracted people in Jesus' own time who hoped he would heal everyone, feed everyone, and overthrow the Roman occupation. It attracts people to Jesus in our time who hope for him to seal their path to prosperity and guarantee an easy life. The challenge for us is to embrace the promise Jesus makes here and truly take it seriously without flipping the order of the universe so that we're the ones giving the orders and God is the one taking orders. If it were up to a bunch of broken human beings to give the orders, where would we stop? Would the good things that are the deepest desires of our hearts be enough? Or would we start wanting more? More power over others, more wealth, a longer life, even immortality. What if my orders conflicted with your orders? 
What if I wanted to transcend all limits of my physical personhood and I ordered God to make that possible? What if I wanted to fly or never age or subordinate creation to my whims? That all sounds crazy until you watch the news and look at the orders given by people who think there are no limits on the orders they can give. Right relationship with God means understanding that we are free to ask God for what we need, want, and desire, but that we are not giving orders to God. God is not our barista. Ask, seek, and not, ask, seek, and knock are not the same things as demand, control, and dominate. And you shouldn't treat your barista like that anyway. So, okay, well, if what if prayer and our asks of God were more like a transaction instead of an order? These verses sound pretty transactional, right? We ask, we receive. We search, we find. We knock, the door gets open. Well, the first problem with this transactional view is that it still makes human beings the drivers of the transaction. In this view, everything depends on us to get that conversation started with God. And if we don't get what we asked for, we wonder if we did the transaction wrong. What went wrong with the transaction? You think maybe we did it wrong. Maybe we didn't pray enough or we didn't pray the right way. Now, how do we build our lives on the promise that God gives when we ask, allows us to find when we seek, and opens the door when we knock? How do we pray without misunderstanding God as a giant vending machine on standby to dispense what we want if we just press the buttons right? The answer is in this short classic passage and in its context in the Sermon on the Mount. The first step is to decenter the content of our prayers. All the misunderstandings I just talked about come from making the content of our prayers, the thing we're, we want from the vending machine, the most important thing in the praying moment. It's the difference between bursting to ask a specific question of anybody who'll give you the answer and bursting to talk to a particular person because you love them and trust them and know they can help you with whatever you want to talk about. The text itself decenters the content of prayer. This passage in Matthew's Gospel and its mirror passage in Luke 11 do not answer the question, ask what? There are no examples, no lists of worthy or unworthy prayers. God knows the ask beneath our immediate requests even when we cannot name those underlying needs ourselves. 
we're left with the imperative. Ask. Go ahead, ask. Seek. Knock. It's not complicated. All three of those words are words for prayer in the Jewish tradition. Go ahead, ask for what you need. Seek God's will. Knock on God's door. Jesus has cleared a path straight to that door for you. And there's no age limit on prayer. You can teach the tiniest child to talk to God, and a person can ask, seek, and knock in their soul when the last light of life is flickering in their immobile, bedridden body. The promise is that God hears and God will provide. Nor is there any geographic or circumstantial limit to this invitation. You can ask, seek, and knock on God's door in places that seem utterly God-forsaken. There is no bar, no party, no roadside motel, no top-secret briefing room, no morgue, no military outpost, no foreign city, no locker room, no operating room, no mental hospital, no school hallway, no nursing home, no divorce court, and no room that finds you crumpled on the floor crying, where you cannot ask, seek, and knock. Prayer is an admission that we don't have what it takes. It's an expression of need when we have no idea what we need and when we think we know exactly what we need. It is hubris to think that we are in control of a divine vending machine of favors. It is faith to recognize that we need God's help, beginning with the forgiveness offered to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is faith to recognize that we daily reach the limits of our ability to be faithful. And sometimes we reach the limit of our ability to survive. There's a reason that this little discussion on ask, seek, and knock is tucked close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's because in that sermon, Jesus has shown what it means to be a subject of the kingdom of God and laid out what authentic righteousness looks like. But there is no way anyone can live into that calling without God's help. It takes serious spiritual resources to be a disciple of Jesus. And the way to be equipped by the Spirit is to ask, seek, and knock. This applies in every season of life, but I'd like to take just a minute to focus on our confirmation students and their parents and mentors. We have a brand new confirmation class just getting started, and it is pure joy. The kids are being asked whether they want to confirm a personal claim to salvation in Jesus Christ and to confirm a commitment to live as his disciples. So newsflash, confirmation students, this whole Sermon on the Mount discussion that's been going on in the pulpit 
is the countercultural way of life and the challenging spiritual life you're signing up for. And absolutely no one can do it without asking for God's help, seeking God's will, and knocking on God's door over and over and over again. So when you talk with your mentors about prayer, it's not just some nice, quaint thing they're encouraging you to do. It is literally how you survive as a Christian. And for the confirmation parents, I'll just quote my clergy buddy, Andrew, who reminded me recently that Christians who are parents of young children write books about parenting, and Christians who are parents of teens write books on prayer. For all of us, this ask, seek, knock passage is a call to prayer. It's a call to the kind of prayer that decenters the content of our requests, which change minute by minute and day by day, and may or may not be so wise. Instead, it recenters the imperative to bring those requests, whatever they are into an ongoing conversation with God. Ask, seek, knock is a call to prayer that debunks the idea of God as a divine genie in a bottle and instead reminds us that God is our good Father. The last part of today's passage is Jesus giving a sermon illustration to explain why and how Everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks has the door open for them. We know from experience that the prayers of believers may lead to astounding miracles. But we also know that our prayers don't always get answered in exactly the way we hoped. Jesus' sermon illustration first appeals to the natural instincts of earthly parents, but anyone with an ounce of compassion for children can relate. He says, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, would give a stone? Or if a child asks for a fish, would give a snake? Well, this is a rhetorical question with the implied answer, of course not. If a child asks for food, no loving parent is going to play a cruel trick and hand the child something useless or harmful. Now, a loving parent might say, the bread is still in the oven, dinner is in half an hour. And that half an hour might feel like forever to the child. Or a loving parent might say, right now, let's have a piece of fruit because that's really what the child needs, even though they want bread. But the response is still an expression of love and care that has the child's best interests and long-term health in mind. So if that's how normal earthly parents and caregivers act, and I realize, by the way, that not everyone has normal, caring, earthly parents, then how much more 
can we expect our perfectly ha- perfect Heavenly Father to provide for us? This part of Jesus' sermon illustration contains one of his little trademark shocker statements. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, well, well wait a second, this illustration is supposed to be about good, caring parents, right? Who's evil? Well, all of us. We are all sinners in need of grace. And although we try, even our best judgments about what is right for our children, for ourselves, and our world may not be right. But God is the perfect Heavenly Father who gives good things to us. As the creatures of his hand and the heirs and his heirs through the work of Jesus Christ, we are beloved children, all of us. What we are given when we ask may seem like too much, too little, or too late. What we discover when we seek may take a lifetime to understand or remain a mystery. The way God opens the door when we knock may surprise us. But the point is that there is a Father who loves us and provides for us. His love is perfect, even when our lives are not perfect. Our loving Heavenly Father is who we're talking to when we say the Lord's Prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father is the one who gives gifts to those who ask. Born of that kind of relationship, our prayer posture becomes confident, childlike dependence, which is the opposite of vainly trying to give God orders or manipulate God's will. Middle school and high school students, I'm going to look at you again for a second. Confident, childlike dependence may sound like everything you want to escape in life right now. It's a position that may appall you as much as it appalls a lot of adults. Isn't confident adult independence better? Well, when it comes to getting a job, cleaning up your own messes in life, and paying taxes, yes. But when it comes to your relationship with God, let yourself hold on to confident, childlike dependence. There is a good father who can pour love and strength into your soul that will help you be the person Jesus is calling you to be. Like your extremely flawed earthly parents, the good and perfect father won't always give you what you want when you want it. Even if what you want seems entirely reasonable at the time. But your father in heaven promises right here to give you good things in some way if you ask. Have you asked? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Go ahead. Ask.
seek, knock, and be surprised by what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. There are a lot of people praying in the name of Jesus today. There are silly Super Bowl prayers being said and serious prayers for the salvation of loved ones. There are pleas for success and safety, health and opportunity, which only God can sort out. And there are Valentine's Day prayers being said, some of which are surely misguided, and some of which are true cries of the heart. There are prayers being said by God's people in every corner of the world for the resolution of massive global crises and for help with the tiniest of problems. That's a good thing. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Receives what, we wonder. Finds what, we wonder. Opens the door how, we wonder. We can wonder and still trust our good Father. So go ahead and ask. I'll leave you with a thought from a well-known Presbyterian pastor named Tim Keller, whom many of you respect. Keller is a wildly successful preacher and church planter in New York City and a New York Times best-selling author. He's also living with stage four pancreatic cancer. And this is his description of what happens when we ask, seek, and knock. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knows. I'm going to say that again. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knows. Either way, trust that something good is coming your way from the good Father who loves you and who already gave his Son for you. Let's pray. God, our good Father in heaven, some of our prayers are laughable. Some of our prayers are cringeworthy. Some of our prayers are desperate cries to relieve real suffering. Some of our prayers are already aligned with your will. Some are surely not. Some of our prayers are masterworks shaped by the words of Scripture, and some are nonverbal. Thank you that you hear them all. Thank you that you invite us, even command us, to keep talking to you and to keep listening to your voice. Thank you for the voice of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, today and always. Amen.